Hello and welcome to another episode of Thought Architecture. So today I'm kind of prompted and really inspired to do this one uh, by a friend of mine, Mr. Brooks. If you're out there, if you're listening to this, this is all your inspiration, so I really appreciate it. So my friend John spoke to me and he was asking me about questions about meditation and ideas and, and my understanding of meditation. And so for those of you who are interested in meditation, this is going to be the general overview. Um, if you want to double-click on meditation and ideas within meditation from my perspective, the next episode is going to be the double-click on meditation. So pay, stay tuned, pay attention. It'll come out soon. So I guess the main point to start with here is very simply the point that meditation is a loaded word. As soon as I say meditation, I bet you you had like a hundred different images, expectations, kind of frames put down there. So understanding a loaded word is something that has, um, you know, in marketing terms, they, they call it a halo, where you see a word like vegetable and you think healthy, you think, oh, this is good, you know. Um, and it's not necessarily the case because for each person contextually, there are slightly different meanings. There's a, a culturally negotiated meaning as well. And so for a long time, I was looking for a way to meditate because I was thinking that there was this, this one way of meditation. And what I was finding was some soft stuff. I was finding stuff that was very woo-woo out there. It didn't really have a lot of substance to it. It wasn't appropriate for my context either. So one of the biggest things that I want to challenge within you, within people out there and the conversations out there is define what you mean when you say meditation. And a good way to define it is by giving examples, by also defining it against something else. So um, the word is very simple, salience, like what do you see as meditation being uh, out from the crowd? What is not meditation? What is meditation? And so very simply put, a lot of people say, well, you know, like exercise is for the body and meditation is for the mind. Now, coming at this from an educated perspective, I'm going to tell you, you can't meditate yourself smart. Okay, so I would not say that meditation is going to be what exercise is for the body. However, I will say that it's more along the lines of a triumvirate of things that you need to make sure that you're hitting in your life, which is going to be making sure that your, your mental game is on point, make sure your physical game is on point, and make sure your emotional game is on point. And those are your three layers. To say that one outclasses the other is nonsense. And, and I'm, I'm happy to go into details and go into the marshes and the weeds with anyone who says that one outclasses the other because we are a system of systems. And each one of them is mediations. Meditation is mediation of certain things in your system. And what kind of things does it mediate? Does it, does it help harmonize? Well, we'll get into that in a minute. But just simply put, the fact that someone says, oh, all you need to do is like do yoga meditation. No, challenge that. Challenge that straight away. Well, why? Well, what do you mean by meditation? Who's it contextually appropriate for? Who's it not appropriate for? You know, did you know that the Shawshank Redemption bombed at the box office, but is considered to be like one of the greatest movies ever made? So who was it good for? It wasn't good for its investors, but it was great for a lot of people, you know? Um, I think Morgan Freeman was on uh, record in an interview of having said that 
the fact that it was called the Shawshank Redemption guaranteed that it wasn't going to be a box office success just because the name threw people off. The naming of a thing is quite important, you know. So if it was a shorter name, like The Break or something like that, probably would have gotten a little bit more success. Or if it was just called like Andy or something like that. But anyway, the point is, um, coming back to it, it's it's very simply put, define what it is and define what it isn't. So it's not this kind of um, mystic thing. We need to be able to measure it. And so we go to science to see what a lot of the measurements are. But we also need to be able to define the mechanics of it. So once again, we're coming up with this idea of defining what is the context. In the context, we need to define the mechanics. And then we need to define uh, an assessment. Who is it good for? What places are they? Where are they coming from? What's their history, their background, their environment? Where are they going? What's their destination? And therefore, what's the vector to get to that destination? So you understand that we can't just say, oh, meditation is good for everyone. No, there are some people where meditation actually doesn't benefit. And you might say like, well, who is who would be that person? Um, I was one of them. I was a person who was already too much in my head and I needed to balance out the ratio of thought to action. And you might say, well, Justin, then you need a meditation on focus or clarity or you need a meditation on this or that. I was sick of any suggestion. So emotionally, I would reject all forms of meditation that you would give me because I was so desperate for change and action that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen it anyway. I wouldn't have paid attention to it. I would have been like, I, my mind is balanced anyway. So emotionally, I would have rejected it. And so that straight away is a context for someone that's no good for meditation, someone who rejects it. Okay. So yes, it does stimulate the brain, but it actually has got more to do with where a person is and then we can find them a meditation that actually can bring some results, some change. Okay. So more often than not, what I, what I get exposed to in the, in the press, in YouTube and media and things like that is people doing the breathing meditation. Just breathe in and breathe out and focus on your breath and kind of get into a rhythm of things. And they're like, ah, oh, but meditation is hard. Meditation requires discipline. And like, yeah, if that is your definition of meditation, if it's a breathwork meditation, a stillness meditation like that, a mind, it's not a mindfulness. Like you could say it's mindfulness because you're in the present moment. Sure. That type of a meditation is more like a Zen meditation. And even then within the Zen meditations, it's one type of Zen meditation. And to be frank, it's not for everyone. It's boring as hell. And so... If you are looking at creating a system, a life where you are meditating, why are you meditating? What is it that told you that meditation is going to benefit your life? And what is the function that you think that meditation is going to do for you? Investigate those before you just sit down and demand that you meditate, breathing in, breathing out, focusing on all your your breath. So your emotional motivation has to be there and strict discipline sure, yeah, I mean, you can do that, but, you know, that's the hard way. Someone's always ice skating uphill, as Wesley Snipes said in Blade One, you know, with a little bit more colorful language. But the idea is that have something more personal, something more rooted in, in your emotional motivation, in positive emotions, like enjoyment, like pleasure, like seeking to build something and create. So I'm going to, perhaps if you want to double-click on this emotion, on this meditation idea. In the next one, I'll give you a couple of ideas as well. But if you stick around to the, the later part of, of this audio as well, I'll go into um, a few examples. Okay. So 
please understand that there's another issue with this, which is a lot of people see meditation as like the um, what it's going to do for you. You know, like, oh, yes, if I meditate, I'm going to calm down and be distressed and all of that. And they kind of outsource all of their stress and all of their deep work, their trauma kind of resolution, things that require years of therapy. They kind of outsource it to meditation, be like, but I meditate. Why am I feeling stress? But I meditate. So why am I doing this? And clearly there is deeper work that needs to be done. You need to dissolve certain emotional trauma that you've got going on. You need to find a way to transform it into something that doesn't block you. Meditation can support this, but should not be taken as the magic pill for this. Perhaps if you do years of meditation with counseling from gurus, then maybe you've got a chance of getting through it. But why don't you just go through people who study the minds, people who study the brain? Go through recommendations. You know, Find someone that works for you. One of the best things that I've ever done in my life was therapy. After my second suicide attempt, uh, after the first one, my parents sent me to therapy, but I didn't like the guy, I didn't like the setup, I didn't like this attitude of being fixed, um, that I was broken somehow. By the time uh, the second suicide attempt rolled around and you know, parents got me uh, to a therapist as well, they tried a different therapist, and this time I was like, what the hell? What could it hurt? And I think that's the type of attitude to take. It's not like I'm broken, I need fixing. It's more just like, sure, how can this add to my life? And that's the simple approach. And so take that same approach with meditation. How can it add to your life? Your life is already something that's beautiful and amazing. And so if it helps you see it when you don't see it, great. If it helps you to focus on specific things, great. If it helps you to bring a little bit more stillness to your day because it's very busy, great. All of these are great examples of um, some type of meditation practice. So because I said meditation is a loaded word, I'm going to change it around and rather say a stillness practice. And the reason why I say this is because many people cite different activities than sitting with your eyes closed as a form of meditation. For example, one of the one of my favorites, I'm going to say the best, one of my favorite stillness meditations is literally sitting in a coffee shop with just a cup of coffee and a view of the streets and just people watching. And that's it. And just allowing uh, the part of my brain that focuses the central uh, executive network to kind of shut down and allow the periphery network, the daydreaming network to kind of kick in. And that ability to shift into that state, it's, it's also governed by a separate muscle as well. So your ability to sink in and out of these kind of states is important. Your ability to daydream and then focus on a task at hand. So we're not just talking about meditation that helps you concentrate faster. It's more this idea of there's a harmony of systems and networks that's going on in your mind. And so to call it a meditative practice is incredibly narrowing and framing it incorrectly. But if we call it a stillness practice, now we can start to unlock what we're talking about. We quiet things that are going on around us and in our mind to be able to uh, perform a particular function. So let's get into a little bit of that, okay? But one of the funniest things that I've seen recently was someone who was meditating all the time because, you know, they wanted to fix their life, but they could meditate away the day's problems, but the next day they just came up again. They could meditate away the stress, but the next day they just encountered more stress. And this is a great example of thought architecture. You can meditate away your trauma, but it's still going to be there because you have the same thought patterns 
the same structure within your neural networks that's going to lead you to that same stress point again. You need to change something within your neural patternings to create an effect. So one good example of this is I created a meditation called the Smile Bank Meditation. Now this is just one example, and if it suits you, great, go for it. I made this particularly for myself because I wasn't smiling a lot. I was very depressed at a point in time. I wasn't necessarily in a mood that I wanted to be in. So I wanted to be able to shift my mood and I started it. So if you, if you're interested in that, I'll include a link below. If, if you're, if you're listening to this on a podcast, just go to Insight Timer, the app Insight Timer and search for my name and you'll find, uh, three meditations there. Each one of them is a little bit different, designed very differently. Don't expect them to be the same, but one of them is called the Smile Bank. Okay. And the idea is very simple, is that you sit and you reflect on the past about what has made you smile, and then you think about the future. What can you react to when you encounter it in your environment? What can you react to that's going to put a smile on your face? And you literally practice smiling at things in your future. You prime your brain to actually smile at random encounters. For example, like saying good morning to someone or hearing good news from someone, uh, seeing a dog or a child running around in the street and practicing smiling as a default response. After a few days of doing this, my state had changed. And after a few months of doing this, like I didn't need to do the meditation anymore. The automatic place that I went to was smiling at things. And I can't tell you how much that shifted my day-to-day perception. Great. Okay, meditation. Fantastic. Now, let's get into the weeds a little bit, so if you're ready for it. So, if you want to consider that the mind is kind of like the body, we develop muscles, we develop connections with parts of our body. So, for most people who are right-handed, your neural connections to your right hand are incredibly finely controlled, detailed control over your right hand. But your left hand, or if you're left-handed, it'll be your right hand, whatever is your off-hand, your off-hand is going to be dumb in comparison. And so you literally have a neurological lopsidedness, okay, where one side obviously is stronger than the other. Now, I want you to consider this with regard to the muscles in your mind, your neurological patterns, which connect with emotions, uh, your ability to focus, all of that. Like I said, the smile bank. I had not practiced the muscles of smiling, reactionary smiling at things. And so the result is that I need to do some exercise around that. But it was fun. It was great. I could make it short as I wanted, just like if I wanted to go into the gym and exercise for just five minutes and just put like a lot of intensity into it and do what I could for five minutes versus go in for 40 minutes and go and look at each little exercise and focus on main lifts and accessory lifts and things like that. There's a lot to get into with this type of thing. But ultimately, we're trying to harmonize all the sides of ourselves so we can be a whole-hearted, sorry, a holistic, well-rounded, integrated human for the benefit of people around us. So whatever meditation is the meditation that's going to develop the the, the underdeveloped sides of you, that's fantastic. You probably need that more. So consider meditation almost like training. So In times where you are at a place of minus one, where you're just trying to keep your head above water, meditation could be a tool used to reset you back to zero and help you just like calm things down. 
and help you get clarity on things, help you in a couple of ways. But if you're at a zero, if you're at a calm place, you've recovered from your stress and you're gathering strength, you can literally then use meditation as a way to train yourself so that you never go back to that minus one again. Okay? You can use it as a kind of way to go to the gym versus rehabilitation from a broken muscle, a broken bone or a torn muscle. So literally we use this um, in this way and the the, the basically what we're saying is that uh, what I'm saying is that we need to assess which muscles you have a lopsided development in before um, trying meditation practices. I mean, it's not going to hurt you to, to do meditation. It's kind of like taking vitamin pills, a multivitamin, without knowing which particular uh, vitamins you have an abundance of or, you know, you're, you're lacking. But the idea is that... Um, Doing an assessment on on what you need, it's quite easy. It usually just starts with what pain do you feel that you no, want, no longer want to feel? What's the problem? And what can meditation offer you? Okay. And so that's the very simple point of meditation. Now, here's a few examples of meditations that I use that personally, no one taught me, but I've used them multiple times. Actually, I lie. To say no one taught me is a lie. It's not like I'm a self-made man. There's no such thing. I'm, I found scraps of it here and there. I stitched together pieces, Frankenstein them, or stole an idea that I liked and just modified it. So, you know, that's complete nonsense. So, I will say that there are several. So, I'm just going to list out a couple, just to give you an example. And I'm going to tell you what it really does and what effect it has. So, I've got something called the Tribal Council Meditation. And in that way... I feel, number one, less alone and I connect with people that I look up to to get some advice on how to move forward. And it's a great way to kind of get perspective on a situation. I've got one called the reinforce meditation where you reinforce your core identity, where maybe you're doubting yourself. Um, that really helps a lot to just regain a lot of confidence. I've got a deep dive meditation to really kind of dig into topics and how I feel about certain things and why do I feel those feelings like what does it connect to? What kind of experiences do I have? What does it mean for my beliefs or values? I've got one called the superposition meditation, which again is about perspective. I've got the smile bank meditation, which is about changing your state and neurologically priming me to just have a positive state of mind a lot more. I've got physical stimulation or connection meditations to help me to increase mind-muscle connection. You know, um, there's there's something to be said about feeling and sensitizing yourself to all the parts of your body there's a the complete opposite then the physical numbness or relaxation where you disconnect from your body that's quite a nice one to actually fall asleep to uh, i've got another one that i call the apet meditation which was inspired directly from a book called human givens uh, which i highly recommend um, i've got another one which is about learner mindsets and i made that for some of my clients um, with regard to seeing learning as stepping stones rather than failure until success. Um, there's s simple ideas about learner recall, which helps you kind of bring back and reflect on information and recycle information, particularly before sleep, where memories are consolidated. I've got something which is called a, uh, a meta-time-tation, which is about um, looking at different time periods for yourself and seeing successes and it's basically a huge reflective happiness meditation and success and triumph meditation there's emotional meditations as well that meta emotional tations 
um, where you're analyzing and taking a perspective on your own feelings. Um, then there's another one that uh, is basically a philosophy meditation where you listen to somebody speak. Um, Alan Watts, for example, you throw him on the headphones, you put headphones on and you listen to him speak while your eyes are closed and you're breathing and you think about what is he saying and you're provoked and it's a good chance to kind of feel a lot of those juices flowing, the philosophy. You've got the uh, transcendental meditation stuff, which is like the mantras and you take a mantra and you kind of like repeat it to yourself as well. Now the mantra kind of ta meditation is a repetitive action meditation. So there are a whole host of qualities that govern meditations as well. So like I said before, if you're interested in a lot of these, double click on on this with me in the next episode and let's go even deeper into meditation and hopefully get some ideas but i would love to hear from you uh, i mean send me a message write a comment below um, what kind of resources do you use for meditations do you have any particular meditations that you like to engage in uh, what kind of results do you get out of meditations uh, do you have any particular um i don't know grievances would be a good way to say it like i revolt against a lot of like people nowadays uh, claiming that a meditation is a one-size-fits-all. And I'm like, people deserve better information than just, do this, it worked for me, I made an app about it. Yay. I'm talking particularly about the fucking Harris brothers, pardon my French. <laughs> Sam Harris and his bro, each of them has a meditation app and each of them are the same thing. You know, And I don't respect that at all. You know, meditation isn't just that one-size-fits-all approach. And I'm sure that they've got some variance in there. But if you look at all their social media without buying into their stuff, all their social media says the same thing, which is one type of meditation. Now, if we take away the positives, it's just that they're, they're really speaking to the fact that people need to include some form of stillness practice and recognize it as a tool and perhaps find the tools that work for them. And that's it. Meditation, stillness, is a tool, a very, very good tool to have in the toolbox. So my question for you is, how well developed is this tool? Do you have a hammer and that's it? And so every single need that you have is met by one meditation, which is just a breathwork meditation. Or do you have multiple breathwork meditations? Do you have multiple visualization meditations, etc.? Right. I'm going to stop it there. I'm going to leave it there. I think we've gotten into quite a lot already. Just to give you a little bit of a back, uh, you know, back cycle round. We were talking about meditation being a loaded word. We were talking about um, ways to stimulate the brain, but it's not a cognitive thing. You're not going to get smarter necessarily by meditating, but you are going to rewire some neural pathways and change things around. Having emotional uh, sources, emotional fuels, are, it's going to be the best form of motivation for you, like enjoying it or f seeing that it actually relieves a particular problem. Uh, and then, obviously, what's the effect on your life? Is it something that you're using to, you're kind of outsourcing all your life problems to meditation and you're therefore bypassing doing all the emotional work? Or is it actually something that is helping you to restructure your neurons? You know, once again, we talked about the idea of developing lopsidedness and how we need to, um, rebalance these kind of muscles to the best of our ability um, and understanding it as muscular as like a neuromuscularity to kind of get results and then I gave you a few examples of my own meditations which we can go into in the next episode anyway that's it for me I hope you have a wonderful day because you are wonderful and you deserve it and uh, 
Yes, I'll see you in the next episode. My name is Justin, and this has been Thought Architecture.